becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those other songs. Glimmer, glimmer, shift the ship in the sea. Saw it, saw it. Yeah. Think you see it. Alright. Hi. Hey. How's it going? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready to do this. I assume. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Welcome to the shores. Welcome. We don't know where we are right now. Transition. Transition. It's a transitional space. It is. Spring is coming. It is. I can feel it. I can feel it in my fingers. Feel it in my toes. <laughs> <laughs> I did not watch uh, that movie. Love Actually? Yeah, this Christmas season. You know, we didn't either. We usually do that, too. It's usually a tradition. Uh-huh. Um, no, but seriously, I don't know if it's just the season. I mean, it feels like something is shifting. Something's transitioning mm-hmm. in the cultural climate, the political climate, the actual climate. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> The uh, viral climate. The viral climate? Oh, true. Uh, yes. I was thinking about memes. You were talking about COVID. Uh, yeah. I don't know where it's going yet. Mm-mm. But uh, the the um, feeling of transition is welcome. I agree. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. I definitely, it, it, uh, we're, de- we're seeing at the shops, it seems like people are kind of wanting to come out and are excited about the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I've heard people, you know, you have to, as far as like, Hey, I just got my first shot. You know, it's yeah, like real excited. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's almost like Christmas or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't associate needles with Christmas. Uh-uh. Thank God. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Hypodermic needle. <laughs> Jab me. Um, yeah, well, there was like a lot of pushback, obviously, right, in Texas and especially in Austin when the governor um, lifted the mask mandate and the mm-hmm. restrictions on business occupancy. Yeah. Um, but it seems like people forgot pretty quickly to be complaining about, you know, their political adversaries and they felt excited about a change. Mm-hmm. Cases are dropping. Deaths are dropping. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic news. Yeah. And whether people want to admit it or not, I, I can feel them feeling relieved because mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of people who feel like they you know need to not recognize the change. They need to hold their position, hold the line on the rules mm-hmm. that they think need to be imposed. Yeah. Because, Otherwise, they're not fighting back against those who would make it worse if they didn't follow the rules that those people want them to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like they have to hold that line. But even those people, I feel like, are experiencing a bit of uh, pep in the step. Yeah. Yeah, my, my experience of it is is more of like, you know, with, uh, with, that, with Governor Abbott's uh, um, statement, is it kind of gives everyone a one last sort of like hoorah to like say, okay, no, we're going to be safe. Yeah. And, and then to be able to, um, cause those people are going to have one, they're going to have the last say, mm-hmm. they're going to have to have the last say, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Abbott had waited until 
everyone agreed, mm-hmm. then they wouldn't get the last say and they'd have to put that energy somewhere else, you know, that take the last shot. Uh-huh. So it's good to do it. I think prematurely, Yeah, not prematurely, but ahead of when some people want it. It's like, you got to figure out where that happy medium is. Mm-hmm. Otherwise no one's really going to transition smoothly. Yeah. It's hard. Cause like somebody has to make those decisions and, um, I think that's also, and I, again, I'm not equating this to Abbott, but I'm, I'm more in general leadership. It's like knowing when to step up and kind of lead people in a place to a place that they don't necessarily <laughs> want to go. Mm-hmm. Now, whether the big question is, is like, is that a place that they should go? <laughs> yeah, know, it's right. Like, it's like as a leader, you can actually, you know, cause a lot of trouble by taking people. I mean, that's a good point. It's like, <clears throat> the economy can't sustain businesses operating at limited capacity forever. Mm-hmm. So at some point you're going to, the leader's going to have to say it's time to change this rule. Yeah. Maybe the best time to change that rule is when half the people are for it and half the people are against it mm-hmm. or some, somewhere that, you know, around there where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're going to struggle through it together. Or if you see, I mean, I, again, I, you know, if you see that, um, okay, cases are dropping, um, vaccines are coming out they're not fully out so it's like when do you start that transition so like we all need that as far as like you know when alice and i make decisions it's like you know usually we talk about it and then it takes a little while for things to kind of settle into a place where we both are comfortable with you Mm -hmm. know and it's like i think that's you know whether it be business or um relationships it's like you kind of have to have those disagreements you know and and then you can kind of step away and weigh weigh for yourself what the risks are and then come Mm -hmm. back to that right topic you know so um yeah so i think that's kind of where we're at right now we're in that like everyone's kind of figuring out how they some people are like oh my gosh thank you (laughs) (laughs) i'm so done with this and people like i don't know it's not the right time yeah i mean i also feel some transition a little bit um, in the political landscape. Interesting. And, and I, I don't know exactly what to equate it to. Um, you know, maybe Trump's been out of the spotlight long enough mm-hmm. to where you're starting to kind of see the aftermath a little bit more clearly. Yeah, I, I see that. It's like, it's no longer everybody's energies focused in one direction, they can be a little bit more complex, a little bit more nuanced. Yeah. I kind of think about it in terms of, you know, Trump was, a uh, um, he was something you could throw a lot of shit at <laughs> and he wouldn't <laughs> budge, you know, <laughs> totally, yeah. it doesn't matter what the media said about him or anyone said about him, mm-hmm. Republicans or Democrats, you know, mm-hmm. he was who he was and that wasn't changing. Yeah. When you have something of a force like that, in terms of like a station, like I'm sticking here, mm-hmm. you can put, put a lot of energy toward that. And it's like pushing up against a wall. Yeah. You know, you can put mm-hmm. a lot of energy pushing up against a wall and you're getting tired, but the wall isn't, mm-hmm. you know, but then you remove the wall, all that energy that you were pushing in that direction falls down. Now, you mm-hmm. know, you push and you remove the wall and then all of a sudden you kind of trip and stumble and fall over and, kind of where was that energy going and what do I do with it now? You know? <laughs> yeah. 
You sound like a Biden press conference then. What do I do now? Yeah. Do I go to the mask? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, yeah. I, you know, I think people are starting to see Biden a little bit more clearly. I think so too. Because yeah. I think it was really difficult to see Biden as anything other than an alternative to Trump. Mm-hmm. Because he, you know, for a lot of people, that's the role he served. Yeah. And that was perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but now Trump's been gone long enough. People are like, it's, it, it feels this way to me mm-hmm. that, that the sentiment is a little bit more like, okay, so who is this man and what is he doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and then in some of the contradictions are starting to come out in terms of the way that we've reported stuff, like what's going on with the, at the Southern border and the, you know, mm-hmm. again, kids in cages and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, you know, it's like we thought getting rid of Trump would be a fix all mm-hmm. because we had made him the 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 break all <laughs> the the, um, the problem mm-hmm. for everything. Trump was the problem for everything. Yeah, and then now he's gone, and we're and oh right, he wasn't the problem for everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe we you know need to. There's actually issues we have to address. Like, okay, hey. Like start directing that energy, mm-hmm. not towards Trump, but towards the actual things that yeah. need the attention. Exactly. It's like whenever you say that, hey, we're going to open our borders up, guess what? A lot of people are going to come because America is a really great place. No matter what everyone, or a lot of people <laughs> say about it, it's like it's really a great place. And other Which people that's recognize that. That's interesting because I think it was really easy for people to say America was a terrible place mm-hmm. when Trump was president. Because mm-hmm. you could just blame it on Trump. Yeah. But now that Trump's gone, you have all this contradictory information now. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wait, why is there, what is it, like six times the amount of people normally mm-hmm. trying to come into the country? Yeah. Oh, right. It's because everyone wants to be here. Yeah. Because it's the best place on the world to be. <laughs> totally. Well, it's also interesting, like, I'm kind of thinking back to, I don't know if it's a couple of years ago where, you know, Migrant caravans. And it was like this fictitious idea of migrant caravans, you know? And then, yeah. and then we started, I think that's whenever for me, I started to see, wait a minute, what's, what's true. That mm-hmm. drove, that drove me crazy. Like I hear on one side more, maybe conservative media saying, Hey, there's uh, caravans of migrants coming from Guatemala, you know, on down mm-hmm. into in, coming up to the United States. And I hear the liberal media or left media is like saying, oh, it's a fictitious thing, you know? And I think that was my first sort of like, wait, well, what's true? Mm-hmm. Either there is tens of thousands of people. Or there's not. It seems like it'd be not. easy to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, and then I just, and then I started paying attention to how it was being reported and it was just, it was just, again, now I think that was where I really just sort of got frustrated. I was like, yeah. what the hell? There either is tens of thousands of people there. Or there's not. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, now it's like, we're facing this again. It's like, you know, okay, there's, there's a whole nother, you know, so many people. And it's, again, that's like, I, I do see the argument is like, man, no, America is a great place. We should let as many people as we can right. in here. We good, should also know where that, as many as we can, where, what the, what that is. What's the threshold? What's the threshold? Uh-huh. And what are the consequences for going over it? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe we decide it's worth going over that threshold or yeah. adjusting the threshold, but there's clearly consequences. I mean, yeah. there's thousands of children being hail, held in jail-like facilities, which is the new term. <laughs> Gauges. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
which my understanding is the exact same facility Mm -hmm. and the exact same bars, however you want to describe them or, Mm -hmm. um, um, but that seems like a problem, you know? So maybe we could have a, a conversation on how to change that rather than, you know, the, the politicizing of the narrative. Well, I just want people to be realistic. Like I, I, that's the part that, like I see the United States as a very accepting place and welcoming place. However, there is a reality is that we can't let everybody in. Mm -hmm. And that's, and whether you, whether you like that answer or not, well, we can't and we shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, what's the point of having borders Mm -hmm. and what's the point of paying taxes? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the whole idea of a country starts to go away. Mm hmm. Or even I didn't. I think with this new bill, don't like immigrant, like non-citizens get the fourteen hundred dollars and stuff like that. I, I'm speaking. I don't know. There was something really weird about that. I was just like, that doesn't make sense. But anyways, yeah, probably should say all that territory because I don't. I don't know it well enough. <clears throat> the thing that I heard about that something about that in our one bill mm-hmm. where they're trying to restructure the voting system, and mm-hmm. I think non-citizens would be able to vote. Which makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. I, what's, what's the... <laughs> it's like we just did like a bunch of ballots over to Russia. And like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like well, if anybody can vote, it's like, no, you kind of have to be a U.S. citizen. To yeah, vote. to like, vote. <laughs> right. I mean, it seems I, perfectly obvious. I think that some of the prison stuff, like, I'm, uh, I can kind of, I can, yeah. I can understand <clears throat> an argument there, you know? Right. But like a non-citizen to vote in our, so we don't really need like, you know, uh, internet, uh, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> uh, uh, trouble is all where I can think of right now. Internet trouble. Internet trouble. <laughs> well, you know, it's like people interfering in our election. It's like, well, just, oh, right. just ship a bunch load of, uh, Russians over here. <laughs> as long as we want the interference, yeah. it's good interference. Uh-huh. And then you can come vote, you know, and it's legal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that's, I think it's, but I think just the, there is just some, like there's some things about not people not wanting to accept certain re- realities that are, are hard truths to accept, you know? Yeah. And, and that, and, and it, it is, it is, it's difficult and it's sometimes sad in some of the things. I mean, whether you're talking about homeless too, I mean, that's another mm-hmm. area. It's like, um, I think the thing that I hope for is one of the other transitional things that I'm feeling is it feels like a lot of the, um, a lot of the the issues, especially over the last year that we've been dealing with, have sprung from a place of confusion mm-hmm. that I think is deliberately manufactured. Yeah. If maybe that's a little too too strong of a way to say it, it's more that that it's a it's a desired feature of the discourse. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like some things have have broken through that confusion into identifiable satire. Mm -hmm. Like it's important. Satire is really important as a, as a rhetorical tool. Yeah. Um, but for satire to be effective, it also has to be like, we have to all sort of say, yeah, that's satire. Mm -hmm. It's, it's exaggerating something that we don't really want to look at, but when we see it, we do know that it's true. And now we kind of have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think it it, exa- it it sort of points to the 
looming exasperation of everything being everyone's problem. Like, I think the transition I'm feeling is, is that like, I'm just, I'm exhausted from everything being everyone's problem. Mm. You know, I just kind of want to turn off the social media and just take care of my kids <clears throat> and my house. And, mm. you know, is there something selfish about that? Yeah. But I think we are a healthier society when we put our families mm-hmm. ahead of other things. Yeah. And at some level, you have to say, wow, there's thousands of kids in holding facilities at the border. That sounds like a real problem. Mm-hmm. So glad that we have a government with a, with a whole organization dedicated to dealing with that problem. Mm-hmm. I don't have to carry the weight of that. Yeah. You know, this... Social justice activism, I think, has tried to convince us all that, you know, silence is violence. If you're not speaking out on these issues, then you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got to come back to a place of, no, you're not. And you're also not part of a, the solution mm-hmm. by tweeting about it mm-hmm. or making someone feel bad about it. Like, you've got to let people do their jobs. We have people whose jobs it are it is to deal with this. And mm-hmm. we've got to let them do their jobs. You know, and at the point that they fail at that job. Well, we elect politicians to replace those people and to keep it going. And, you know, I don't think we can all be so hyper vigilant to everything all the time. It's just not a a psychologically tenable position to hold over any long period of time. Yeah. (laughs) So true. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, you know, yeah, it's like every, every, like you need to have, a stance and take action on, on whatever, whoever's the loudest voice, you know, out there. It's like, you have to kind of like almost agree with them and, and be as passionate as they are about that cause. It's like, you know, you know, what if your thing, your thing, what if the thing that means most to you is like, you know, uh, child sex trafficking, you know, it's like, there's a lot to think about and to work on that. That's probably one of that. I mean, I would say it's one of the, most egregious things happening in our, yeah, in our society is, is that, and it's a real big problem. You yeah. Know? Um, but again, that there's also a lot of other big problems out there that mm-hmm. are, that need to be solved and it's okay if, Hey, I don't have time to think about that. I'm really glad you do. Yeah. Totally. That's your thing. It's like, we should be like, cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Go do that. You know? Yeah. I also think we just need to get back to, and maybe some amount of exhaustion will help us with this, but get back to a baseline um, agreement, let's say, that it's okay to disagree. Hmm. Like I was, we were talking earlier about the um, member of Mumford and Sons who oh, yeah. got canceled over uh, tweeting out a recommendation to a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think this is absolute madness. Yeah. Like we should be able to say, you like that book? I don't like that book. Yeah. And move on. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> this constant desire to whip everything up into, um, well, you liking that book is means yeah. me, me is, is hurting other people, <laughs> Yeah, you know, or just, or, or, <clears throat> or using your platform to, um, to prop up that book or spread the, the word about the book. It's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't have, no, doesn't have to. Yeah. Doesn't have to be that way. You can just say I think you're wrong too mm-hmm. and go about your day. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like you don't have to agree with every book. I read a right. lot of books, and it's not necessarily because I'm agreeing with them. I'm curious right. about what it says, you know? Totally. And there's also the other thing, too, where we're, we're you know, humans are, are terrible at um, understanding exponents, something mm. that I've, I've heard quite a few people, mathematicians say. Um, like, we're, like, what is the, um, the classic? Uh, if, I, I, if I give you, I'll either give you a million dollars right now uh-huh. or a penny doubled every day for 30 days. Mm-hmm. It's like, what would you choose? <clears throat> I just know I'm supposed to choose a penny. You know you're supposed to choose a penny. <laughs> yeah, but your brain doesn't accept that very easily. It's like a penny, and yeah. then the next day two, and then the next day four, and then it's like, how many days does it take to get to a dollar? Mm-hmm. You know, quite a few. But over 30 days, you're going to have something like $3.3 million. Yeah. You know, because once it, it hits that critical momentum, it's a J, it's a J. It's like it starts going up and then all of a sudden it's now just a straight line, mm-hmm. you know, all the way to infinity. Um, but I think people, you know, hear about this banjo player in Mumford and Sons tweeting about a book and they just don't understand economies of scale or exponents because the resp- I don't know enough about that situation. I'm just thinking yeah, abstractly yeah, totally. here. It's like, I, I can imagine people saying, well, would you say that about Hitler and Mein Kampf? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, probably when he was in, you know, college, mm-hmm. when he wrote the book, it's like, yeah. he's not worth paying attention to, mm-hmm. you know, at the point something gets to the scale of where it starts going, then yeah, we probably all need to mobilize here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some banjo player in a band, like, what, do you really think this is doing some harm? Like, you can just dismiss this. Yeah. Like, understand the difference between four pennies and three and a half million dollars. <laughs> you know? Is that analogy holding? I don't know. No. I'm, 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 I, I guess what's, what's uh, you're talking about just the escalation. Because I feel like you're equating the uh, the the escalation of what happened to the, the Mumford guy um, to the exponential part. Is that what you're... Well, I'm just saying, like, consider you see something that is, is worrisome or offensive mm-hmm. on, you know, Twitter, because that's where all this happened is on mm-hmm. Twitter, which led to some real life consequences for this guy. My understanding is that he's out of the band now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, a, a, a band is like a family. He's out of the family and also out of a job well, after what 20 does that years. Say about them too? Yeah, totally. It's terrible. Yeah. But I think everybody is, <clears throat> is um, incentivized to bow to the madness. Mm-hmm. And I think we should remember that this isn't a very good incentive. Like this guy, you know, maybe if, so like compare this, cause we're talking about a book here, right? And like mm-hmm. a book being damaging. Okay. So maybe like the equivalent is, um, you know, on the other order of magnitude, it's like Trump tweets out that everyone should read Mein Kampf. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, that's probably a big deal. We should probably all be concerned about that. That's, you know, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what anything Trump said means, but like <laughs> that's concerning to all of us. Uh-huh. But the banjo player tweeting out a, a book from a journalist, mm-hmm. I, it's like, do we need to ruin any lives over this? Like even one, is that worth it? Well, probably most people are, it's like they're, they just don't like the dude. Like, I think he's kind of like a conservative, um, Oh, that's the problem. Yeah. He's a conservative. Yeah, Everyone conser- hates conservatives. <laughs> yeah, it's like a conservative. And he wrote about Antifa. And 
So that's kind of like that's that's kind of the the catalyst of it is that yeah it's a, it's a different well, point even, of view you could disagree with even them there it, yeah. it's like the energy the left is expending to demonize the right mm-hmm. what if you just put all that energy in trying to make anything better yeah like a banjo player in a band <laughs> you think he's dangerous because he doesn't vote Democrat. Well, he's also British, so I mean, he doesn't vote either. Oh, yeah. See, I don't know enough about this. I shouldn't be talking about it. Uh, no, it's just... I also love that band because um, they did the intro music to Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is like my favorite show now. It's so good. So good. Yeah, what would Ted Lasso say? <laughs> I don't know. It's written too well. I can't pair it. I can't. can't do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. We need to put our differences aside and go out there on the field and play the best game we can. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, it's like there is a sort of like a Ted Lasso kind of idea of like, okay, we disagree, but you know what? Let's get out there and play the best game we can. <laughs> you know, win or lose. It's <clears> like, <throat> it's like but there's a sort of vitriol, this sort of, oh, yeah. Well, in my, my I think one of my favorite quotes from the, the show is he's talking to one of the players and he says, you know, they say, don't let youth be wasted on the young. Mm-hmm. Wait, was that it? Don't let youth be, no, youth is wasted on the young. Mm-hmm. He said, don't let wisdom be wasted on you. <laughs> Something like that. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I just think, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the ways the madness has spread is our inability to gather in groups. I think we got to get back to that to be reminded that there are people all around us that we disagree with on all kinds of interesting th- things. And that whole thing is fascinating mm-hmm. just to like, there's this song by a musician named David Wilcox. He's got this uh, album called, I think it's songs and stories. I recommend it highly every mm-hmm. once in a while. I'll put it on, just listen to it front to back with my headphones. Nice. Um, because this line, like I love the wild surprise of seeing through your eyes. It's a song about arguing with your, your mm. spouse or your partner. Yeah. Please explain it to me one more time. I love the wild surprise of seeing it through your eyes. Mm. And I just think it is such a wild surprise. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a spouse. It could be a random stranger mm-hmm. that you happen to talk to at a bar or whatever. And yeah, like I disagree with everything you have to say, but this is a, this is wildly <laughs> surprising and fascinating, <laughs> totally. you know, um, we got to remember like that standpoint, and not make it's so easy from home from behind our little screens to make every disagreement about right and wrong to make every disagreement about something dangerous well even even that it's like like this guy again this is just an example you know this guy apologizing it's like well why did he have to apologize he liked the book the banjo guy yeah right and so well, it, like maybe it is also our on our end is like why do we put so much stock in like what other people think about us? I mean, I know I do, but I mean, it's, it's still mm-hmm. it's like it, I think it's just a check. It's like, I mean, unless they're at your door with pitchforks, you know, it's like just what people are saying online, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like what what is that like? I think you know the whole stick and sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's like it's like really what. I, 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 I kind of disagree with this in a, in a sense because I do feel like there's a responsibility specifically with journalists and media 
and uh, people that have platforms to to kind of go after somebody, you know, I think that is. Um, well, I think what, there's a that's where the social cred is right now. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, you could say like he's a public figure, and so he's promoting something that is vile and uh, is not for the public good. So we can't let somebody like this who would propo- promote something that is so so against the public good. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop this in order to preserve our society and our the goodness of who we are. That, that, seem, that does seem to be the common sentiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's lost on me because I don't have that. Like I want people to think differently. I want, I want to talk to them about it. Hey, why did you like that book? Mm-hmm. What was it about that book that really like caught your attention? Right. Oh, I didn't know that was, I didn't know that happened. Like, where was this at? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause I, again, there's a lot of things that I think I, I don't know enough. <clears throat> I don't know what's in the book, but I know that he does some reporting on what's going on in Portland mm-hmm. and I see these things that I mean, are he, happening there. He's, so the book, yeah, it's Andy No. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what the book's about either, but I do know that he is, to my knowledge, the only person covering what is going on on the West Coast with Antifa. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the... I don't know if Andy No is a conservative or not, but the fact that he's been construed as conservative has been on purpose to... Well, speak, conservatives being denounceable has been, um, or deplorable, I guess is the, the, the colloquial term now, mm-hmm. um, is, is a really convenient way to cover something up. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I, 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 I don't know if he's conservative. Too. I don't know if he I, is. I just heard a lot of people call him far right, but yeah. that, I've heard people call a lot well, of people that's I just, know yeah, that, are, yeah. that are liberals that are called far right. Right, like, well, right. No, that's person. Yeah. But I mean, there was <laughs> like, there was months and months so far as I know, like 90 or over a hundred days of every single night, mm-hmm. groups of people trying to burn down a federal courthouse in Portland. Yeah. He was the only one, to my knowledge, that, that covered that. Yeah. And he's just a guy with his phone and Twitter. Um, and no one else would do it. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book about it. And now that's construed as conservative and damaging somehow. And I, that, that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, we ought to be interested in this. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a, a liberal or conservative, Democratic or Republican, it doesn't, like, this is important to all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've kind of lost the, we've lost that. I mean, it's something we've been talking about all all year and last year is like we've kind of lost the the common narrative. Is like, it's like how can we, how can we, how can people come back together and and discuss things and can we like agree on some really basic fu- fu- fundamental things that are you know, um, yeah. I really just, I, I'm, I'm kind of just mostly pissed at our, our, our media. Like, I think that is the, the thing that is most frustrating for me. Cause I know you and I both enjoy being able to get a broad perspective of what is happening. And I'm also seeing this with the stock market. You know, I'm, um, I see these narratives being woven and I'm starting to like less and less believe what I'm being told. Hmm. And I'm re- it's really frustrating to um, 
almost feeling manipulative, manipulated at every, at every, um, at every corner, you know? And it's like that, that's one of the things I hate is like someone tells me I can't ask a question or look into something or look at it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you have to look at it from this perspective. And I'm like, why? What's what's the perspective you're not wanting me to look at? Because some perspectives are dangerous. <laughs> yeah, we got to make the case for it. Why some is it dangerous? <laughs> some perspectives are offensive. Uh huh. Which I just don't subscribe to that. Yeah. Like you can have whatever perspective you want, as long as you're not coming after me. Yeah. Yeah. Physical. I, I think being offended by someone else's perspective is just dumb. Yeah. I can think it's wrong, mm-hmm. but offense. I mean, if your perspective is that <clears throat> I'm a dumbass, well, then maybe I'll take offense at that. <laughs> well, I was, like, I, I, I was, I was going to have a little bit. I have a little bit issue with like offense. It's like you can take offense, but there's. It's like there, it's kind of gone a step beyond offense. It's like it's almost it, it steps into. Like, I, I want to take you out. Mm-hmm. Like, I am so offended and you're so wrong. I want to take you out. Mm. And not only do I want it to, I'm, it's like, it would be a difference. Like, hey, I go to a business and I don't like the way I was treated. Or, um, uh, or it, it, it's, it, I don't agree with maybe some of their principles. You know, like I think Chick-fil-A a while back, you know, it's like, okay, you don't agree with the principles. Okay, well, don't go. Mm. Well, no, that's not good enough for me. Just not go. I need to get everybody to not go. Mm-hmm. And uh, it. I see points where that is a, you can make that case. Like, Hey, we need to come together and, you know, show solidarity against this certain thing. But I feel like it's, it's been so overplayed that it's become harmful, you know? Mm. So I feel like there was like there was common enemies at certain points in history, you know, like um, the civil rights. It's like no, this is just wrong, you know, like segregating black and white people. That's just wrong, you know. It's it, it or slavery. I mean, there's some things that are like very, but it's like when you talk about like like nuance of perspective, you know, like that's yeah. I just don't feel like we have an enemy. We haven't created an enemy that's like worth that we can really like tackle together. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I think that's why people come together in war so much. Is yeah. is that is having a common enemy, and you forget about <clears throat> those things, or or if you need to find food for your family, it's like you're not really worried about anything else than finding food for your family, right? So I wonder if this is kind of like, it seems like it is also a product of our affluence, you know, that we have to find an enemy and it's starting to look like our neighbor now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's like, love your neighbor or, you know, <laughs> if you can't find a more worthy adversary. Just make them your adversary, <laughs> your neighbor, your adversary. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of true in an archetypal archetypal sense that, well, every hero needs a villain. Mm-hmm. And if you sort of think about what the hero is, well, the hero is like a representation of a, well, a life well lived in some way. Mm-hmm. Like it represents that thing enough in us that we want to achieve mm-hmm. is to be a hero. And what does it take to be a hero? Well, you've got to be 
a good person. You've got to be capable. You've got to be awake and have your eyes open. And these are all things that I think we desperately want. Mm-hmm. And, are, and I think in our own lives work towards or aspire towards, right? Yeah. But the archetype says every hero needs a villain. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no superhero movie or hero movie that doesn't have an adversary. Mm-hmm. So in the absence of an obvious sort of social adversary, you kind of have to slot something in because it's out of balance. Maybe this is where like, I mean, just evolutionarily speaking, like a, a shift that we need in our consciousness, it's instead of the adversary or the villain being outside of us is like, we start to see the villain Mm, inside. inside. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you, you read most religions and most of them point to the, to the villain or the adversary that's inside of us. True. And it's almost like we've kind of (laughs) de-evolved, you know, it's like to some degree. Uh, well, I think there's a part of like, you know, no, we'll go that direction. Um, but that, that is sort of like, I think in, like, I, I think of like a Nelson Mandela or a Václav Havel or Gandhi. And it's like, um, or even what Peter, Peterson talks about or, um, shows in it's, and it's like being able to see the worst of society in yourself. I think there's, there's something really valuable about that, Yeah, that if you're so angry, with the world around you, it's like, can you identify that within yourself? Mm-hmm. If you cannot identify that in yourself, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And because it's so much easier to be self-righteous and point it out in the, in the world around you. But I feel like real understanding comes when you can see the, to see that villain that you're, you're representing outside of yourself, inside yourself, mm. you know, to see the capacity for that that you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the capacity or even that maybe even sometimes it seems like we hate things or act out against things that we hate about ourselves. Mm, yeah. You know, you're, you're more aware of <clears throat> uh, somebody else's faults. If you have those faults yourself, right. because you deal with them on a daily basis and you, and you know them intimately. Mm-hmm. And your subconscious is screaming them out to you. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're trying to suppress them and mm-hmm. yeah. And you hate yourself for them. Mm-hmm. Totally. Hmm. Damn. I think there's something really that, that line of thread is thread of line. line of thread. That shadow. I mean, Jungian calls it the shadow, you know? Yeah. And he says that it has to be integrated. Mm-hmm. Well, even like Jesus talks about, you know, just in forgiveness, you know, there's sort of like, um, I was thinking about this the other day of why I came to this, but, oh, I told somebody, um, we were talking about something we were talking about suicide and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I told him, I told him, I was like, I don't know, for me, I feel like I've already died. Like that was a very, that was a very clear, distinct moment for me, you know? And so everything that I have, when I can, when I go back to that place, like that was kind of like, you know, the time in the time when you were crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I came to this place where I was going to kill myself and it was, I said, I was naked 
in fact, I was incorporeal too. Like I was like, I had no body. And the only one thing stopped me was like, what's next. And it just stumped me. Hmm. And so for me at that moment, I died. Like I had nothing. Hmm. And so when I can think of from that place and come to where I am today, it's like everything that I have is a, is a gift now. And sometimes I forget that. Then I just, when I zero in on that spot. And so I think there's something like, you know, even in Christianity where it talks about like how you die and it's no longer you who lives, but Christ that lives in you. And there's a sort of idea of, you know, of sort of like giving yourself over to death and that life comes out of that, um, out of that space. And I think that's, I think that's also that place when I think that's a place of integration of the shadow too, is like whenever you, whenever you can kind of die to all the things that you think about yourself, you know, and those things always be open and defined by something outside of yourself, you Mm know? Um, but you can also, I mean, it's also a Buddhist idea too, is like, you can see, you know, the entire world or the universe in a grain of sand. It's like all the things you see around you is also contained within you, you know, that's, uh, that's full integration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do really like this, this idea of locating the villain within. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we were all to do that, we would all improve Mm -hmm. and become better and maybe whatever, real injustice there is in the world would improve along with it. Whatever real adversaries there are would be less so. Mm -hmm. Because whatever evil there is in the world, whatever malevolence or um, injustice is done, it comes from the heart of a person. Mm -hmm. Who is it that says the line of good and evil is written? drawn straight through the heart of every man. I think it's Dostoevsky. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And we all, we all contain the capacity as a species. Uniquely, we contain that capacity. Mm -hmm. It does no one any good for anyone to think that they don't have it. Yeah. It's dangerous. Almost. It's dangerous. I think the greatest acts actually of evil are committed by people who think that they are, in the right. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's Hitler or the Grand Inquisition. Mm-hmm. You know, evil for evil's sake, I think, is more rare. Yeah. Like, like a, you have a truly evil person who's doing it simply to do evil. Mm-hmm. I think that's more rare. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much easier to do evil in a self righteous you know, or in a righteous matter, you know, as far as like, I am right. And this is what's best. And Or maybe it's easier to do evil on a larger scale. True. True. I mean, you certainly have, I think I, I can think of more examples of, of evil being done on an individual level relationally, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's an abusive parent or, oh, yeah. um, you know, even the way friends treat each other sometimes is, can mm-hmm. be really evil. Yeah. Um, but on a grand scale, on a societal scale, mm-hmm. I can't think of many 
or any off the top of my head that seemed sort of evil for evil's sake. It was more evil for good's sake, mm-hmm. which is a strange thing to think about or to, or to make sense of. Yeah, it does seem that way. Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, I, the, the instances as you're, as you're talking about this, it's, I find that the different scenarios I go through is like the people are not even interested in the other side of the argument. You know, I think something that you and I like to do is kind of still man different arguments and I'll take on a role and you'll take on a role and then we'll do our best to present that argument and, you know, best faith, whatever, you know, and I think it takes a lot of work to be able to do that, to look at something from another person's perspective. You know, mm-hmm. I think whenever, you know, we look at conservatives and then we look at liberals, it's like being able to understand <clears throat> the arguments that they are making and give them the benefit of the doubt of what they're saying. Yeah. Um, because even if you leave a conversation and you still disagree with the original proposition, mm-hmm. you are probably going, you will learn something if you take that position of, of um, being interested or trying to see through someone else's eyes. Mm-hmm. You will learn something. It might be that you're more right than you thought. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that you're, you're still <clears throat> right, but not in the ways that you thought. Mm, true. Or it might be that you think, oh, okay, I still disagree with you, but I wasn't thinking about these other things, which I hadn't incorporated into my original model of, of mm. my position on this. And I need to evaluate that. You know, much less likely you just sort of like change your mind, but mm-hmm. you could too. Yeah. It just makes me think about, um, <clears throat> we read this quote, I think it was from Jeff Bezos, maybe six months ago on the podcast about changing your mind and how important that is. Hmm. And the most, I think he said something like the most successful people he's ever met have never been afraid to change their mind mm-hmm. because we get new information all the time, constantly. Yeah. And our understanding is just limited. Mm-hmm. So if you're not constantly incorporating new information, reevaluating your positions on things and being willing to let them go. How could you be successful? Unless you're just lucky. Which also makes me think about, um, I think we talked about this on the money episode, but that idea of um, that it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than to pass through the eye of a needle Mm -hmm. or camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Is that Mm -hmm. what it is? And the, the analysis of that being not about wealth, but about attachment. Mm. If you can't let go of what you have, you can't move, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, whether that's into tomorrow or into heaven, you can't move. So if you're so attached to your position on things that you're not willing to change your mind, you're kind of screwed. You're, you're like, you know, you're, you're, uh, stuck on a buoy. <laughs> in shark infested water, mm-hmm. you're just going to die on the buoy or are you going to try to like make a swim for it? You're going to change something. You have to yeah. change your analysis. It reminds me of that, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> how you catch a monkey and you put something in the, in the bottle and then the monkey won't let go of it. Oh, right. And it's stuck. 
Did you ever read uh, Where the Red Fern Grows? Yes. Yeah. The original um, like conceptualization of this kind of trap for me was in that book. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't a bottle or a monkey. It was mm-hmm. a raccoon. Mm-hmm. And he would like cut a hole in a, in a log mm-hmm. and then like nail in nails around the hole so that they're sticking into the hole and create a, you know, the tips of the nail heads create a smaller hole and put some food down there. The raccoon will reach in and grab it, make a fist. Now when he tries to pull his hand out, mm-hmm. it's, it's stuck, you know, mm-hmm. up against the heads of these nails mm-hmm. and starts digging into the skin. And so he, can't, he won't pull it out, but he also won't let go of the food. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just go pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> that crazy. <clears throat> yeah it's like it's it's like we need to be careful we're, we're too fixated on an idea <clears throat> like even like you and i've been talking about like people throwing around the word science mm-hmm. science science listen to the science <laughs> listen to the science and it's like well science gives you a, a certain amount of information to evaluate and then make a decision from it's like science doesn't tell you what to do mm-hmm. you know it, it gives you it gives you information to make a decision yeah and so well, that phrase just is gotten to mean nothing. <laughs> Listen to the science. What does that mean? What yeah. do you mean? Do you mean don't argue with you anymore? Mm-hmm. Do you mean to just do what you say? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean anything to me. Matt, give me some whiskey. Listen to the science. Listen to the science. <laughs> I mean, it says I need whiskey. <laughs> okay. I, I love, I love science. I'd mm-hmm. love to listen to the science. I'm honestly desperate for scientific information that seems to have very much weight about mm-hmm. many of the issues going on in the world today. Yeah. There really isn't much of it because it's all very new mm-hmm. and the science isn't settled. Yeah. So if you have some science that's conclusive what are you doing not whipping it out right now? It's not enough to say, listen to uh-huh. the science. Well, even you and I, and again, I don't understand exactly what this report says. Actually, it, you know, it's like that mask see it's on the CDC website. It's like mask help 0.5% more than not wearing a mask. And, but the recommendation, well, now was, you're spreading misinformation. Okay. So I could be, I mean, I, I, I but I, I didn't understand, like it wasn't well stated, but that's what I came away from. I was like, wait, so is that, did, I mean, is it, am, I, am I misrepresenting it? Yes, okay. <clears throat> but not on purpose. Oh, <laughs> thanks. It was purposefully misleading. Okay. <clears throat> um, because so often now, quote, unquote, the science mm-hmm. um, isn't about science. It's about narrative. Mm-hmm. Listen to the science, what the CDC says. Well, so you go, there was this article, we'll try to link to it. The, the, you know, and there's the sort of like the, in any sort of scientific paper, it starts with an abstract and then goes into, you know, forward and conclusion and then the data or whatever. And so like the, the beginning of it was masks help improve, mask mandates help slow the spread of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. CDC recommendation, wear masks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so already there's a problem because they're talking about mask mandates and then recommending wearing masks, which are two completely different things unrelated Mm -hmm. to each other scientifically. Mm -hmm. Like you can test one and the other and the way that they affect each other, but they're two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but then the actual study was they looked at, you know, I think it was from like March, 2020 to December, 2020 Mm -hmm. at a County level out of 3,300 counties in the United States, um, what was the spread of coronavirus like in those counties mm-hmm. 
And there was like 2,300 that had mask mandates and then 1,000 that didn't. Mm -hmm. And they found that counties that had mask mandates in those counties, coronavirus spread at something like a half a percent less Mm -hmm. than counties that didn't have a mask mandate. Mm -hmm. And there's some more nuances in the data. Like they broke it down by like the first 20 days after the mandate versus the 20 to 40 and 40 to 88. And the the percentage changed, but I think at max it was like 1.5% difference in spread. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting because the CDC is saying mask mandates help slow the spread of the coronavirus. That's right. They do by somewhere between half a percent and one and a half percent. Okay. So again, like to your point, this is just data. Now we get to decide what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Like you could easily say it's like it it was, it was, it was inconsequential. The amount that you could say, you could say that's statistically irrelevant. Yeah. Statistically. Right. So like what story do you want to tell around it? And clearly Mm -hmm. the CDC wants to tell the story of wearing masks because that's the safe position. But I mean, I read that I'm thinking a half percent reduction in spread from a mask mandate. So to me, that's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And again, a difference between a mask mandate and whether or not we should wear masks. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the government telling everyone what to do and having a half a percent effect, I think that's not worth it. Don't don't control me for that amount. Mm hmm. I'll probably still wear a mask because I'm going to do what I think is right. And clearly, you know, that effect is holding because where there weren't mask mandates, if masks do work, then people were wearing them anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, the other question is, well, maybe masks don't make a difference. Mm -hmm. Well, this study didn't test for that. So we don't know. But (laughs) so I guess the point is, what do you mean by the science? Yeah. And what am I to take from that? Because even the recommendation from the CDC, once you go read the paper, which takes quite a bit of work, because it's pretty long (laughs) and hard to understand, you know, I feel like anyone who really read it would be like, that's kind of a heavy conclusion to draw based on, like, this is a shaky set of data to use that, to get to that conclusion with. Yeah. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and this is not about whether you should or should not wear a mask. Right. It's not <laughs> like it's more about the, yeah, no, I think, I think if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask in my experience is that almost everyone wants to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Are, are we good here? Like the fact that Abbott lifted the ban, I don't think is changing anyone's behavior. Mm-hmm. At least not as far as I can see. Well, not in Austin. I think not in Austin. we kind of have a different perspective on it yeah. I think, as a city in general. Right. But I'm sure like in smaller towns and stuff like that. But then again, it's probably not as big of a spread, you know, it's like, cause it's a smaller town. People are more town. spread out by mm-hmm. nature and they should like, I don't feel like, you know, we from Austin should be imposing our values on, um, you know, someone in Doss, Texas. Mm-hmm. That's why they moved out there in the first place. <laughs> they don't, you know, <laughs> totally. Yeah. They don't share our values. <laughs> Great. Live out there. Uh-huh. You know, I'd love to come visit cause I like being out there sometimes, but yeah. you know, I'm sure they love coming in, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's definitely value in the fact that we can all spread out a bit and, and live in communities and as communities say, you know, we're not going to do that or, you know, we are going to do this. And mm-hmm. this, um, this idea of like, Hmm. 
imposed top-down agreement on everything is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go well for... We've almost like lost the idea of being adults and responsible and taking responsibility. Um, you know, like we want everyone, we want people to tell us what to do, whether it be, you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Uh, um, you know, you should do this with your money. I, I don't know. It's, it, it just seems that, I don't know if I want to go down that road. I think it's more that we want, we, that's what it seems to me is that the, the people who, are advocating most strongly for more government intervention. They don't want to be told what to do. They want the government to tell other people to do what it is that they want them to do. Hmm. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Because again, with the mask, like, you want me to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask. I don't need the government to tell me to respect you. You know, and, and sure, there are those to whom that doesn't apply, and you know, are going to be disrespectful, but that's also just a part of life. Like the government can't outlaw that. Yeah. It's not kindergarten class. Right. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a rabbit hole. (laughs) I just just had the same response you did a second ago. Like, ah, I can't go into that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, well, maybe it's a good place to end it. (laughs) Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm kind of like, I don't want to end it on COVID stuff. I'm tired of COVID. Yeah. Um, Let's take it somewhere upbeat, like something that we're excited about or possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like you and I also have are really excited about and maybe just to encourage all you guys is to look around and see what are the opportunities that are um, presenting themselves. Because there's one thing and Allison kind of brought this to mind this week and something Matt and I've talked a lot about is like what you give your attention to. So if like you, if you call yourself stupid, Mm. your brain is going to focus on reasons why you are stupid. It's going to try Mm. to explain to you the question that you're asking because you're asking us, why am I stupid? So you're, you're already thinking that you are stupid. Now you're giving the task to your brain to, to come up with reasons why you're stupid. And so there's something about, giving attention to that, that is detrimental where somewhere else it's like, even like when you think the worst of your neighbor, it's sort of like you're giving your brain food to then find Mm. out what is so bad or evil about your neighbor. It's like, what if we switch that around? It's like, Hey, why is this person? I disagree with them, this person on this, in this area, but what's really amazing about this person? Like, or what can I do for this person? You know, instead of, uh, I think just whatever we give our, our, whatever kind of food we give our, you know, minds to think on, to, to think about. I I think that's a great point. Um, a fascinating idea that we've talked a bit about, and I think is most, most, um, well laid out in Ian McGilchrist's book, which we talk about all the time on the podcast, but Mm -hmm. the brain is primarily an inhibitory Mm. 
machine. Like there's so much potential input into your psyche, into your consciousness, into your nervous system. Mm -hmm. The brain sorts out what, what you can actually like process Mm -hmm. by basically blocking everything and then selectively letting things in. So if you like, you probably are stupid, you know, (laughs) Uh a very high probability Mm -hmm. everyone compared to, yeah, in some way. (laughs) Uh Right. So if, if all you're telling yourself is you're stupid, it's like you're opening the channel for stupid. Mm-hmm. Now the stupid channel's open. <laughs> it'll know, give you plenty of reasons. And it'll give you plenty of evidence. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, science. You, know, <laughs> you know, listen to the science. <laughs> um, and so he also talks about attention and just exactly the point you're making is what you give your attention to is what will manifest actually into reality. Mm. Um, so I, I'll... A personal antidote that came to mind as you were talking about that is, I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast, but if you've been listening, you probably know I got divorced about five years ago. And when I was going through, you know, probably safe to assume that when you're, any two people are going through a divorce, there's quite a bit of negative emotion and and quite a bit of animus. And um, I was having... uh, sitting down having lunch, I think with you, with you, Michael and, and one of our friends. And I was complaining about all of the bullshit of the divorce and, um, you know, it's a divorce. There's plenty of bullshit. Um, and, and he challenged me and said, Hmm. you know, what if you did one thing every day to show her that you love her Hmm. and yeah, you're getting divorced and you know, you may not be in love with her anymore and the relationship could be totally broken and it could be totally full of bullshit and there could be plenty of things that you hate about her and mm-hmm. um, reasons to be angry and upset. But she's, she is, you know, was and still is your wife and you can find some way to show her that you love her mm. every day. It could be the smallest, simplest thing. She doesn't even have to notice it. Mm. It's just for you. Like, give some attention to that part mm. and... I really credit that recommendation with um, getting me through that period. Mm. And I wonder how much worse things would have been had he not said that. Just kind of bold. It'd be more like a friend to just be like, yeah, bugger, you know? Right. Totally. <laughs> like, like, because we look for that in friends, right? Yeah, to like, uh-huh. to, to have that sort of like be on our side and empathize and, mm-hmm. you know, um, how evil and wrong the other person is. It's like, well, yeah. What's well, they they can, can be that, but also, mm-hmm. and, you know, which is, I think, a perspective we need to take on pretty much everyone mm-hmm. because we all have the capacity for evil, but we also all have the capacity for love mm-hmm. for any other human being and to be loved by any other human being. Mm. So, you know, give a little bit of attention. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, you know, for, uh, forgive of, uh forgive others as you would have, as you are forgiven. It's that idea of like, um, you know, by not forgiving somebody, you don't hurt the other person. You hurt yourself. Mm, Yeah. And it's just, and we don't see that. Like we almost want to punish the other person by wrongs, you know, perceived wrongs or actual wrongs. But the thing is, is if we don't forgive somebody, we actually just end up hurting ourselves and the revenge we think we're taking, we're actually, it's, we're taking that revenge on ourselves by yeah. not forgiving. Right. 
And there's a difference between forgive and trust. And that's a whole nother thing. Like you can forgive somebody, not trust them. Yeah. But, right. But forgiveness is something that is, it's a release for you. So, so if your parents are Republicans and they voted for Trump, Hey, forgive them. You know, <laughs> if you're, if it's the other way around, it's like, Hey, you know, forgive them. You yeah. know, it's like, whether there was perceived or actual wrongs in your mind, it's like, there's so much more than that. You know? mm, yeah. Don't let politics get in the way of family or friends. Absolutely not. That's very important. Well, cheers. Yes. Cheers. <clears throat> Thanks for coming to the shores. Yes. Thank you guys. Love y'all. Love y'all. Ciao. Bye.